0: So the idea for that little bumper video came—I uh, don't know—subtly. I didn't realize it was an idea for a video when it happened. Uh, but little Max Banks Brockmire—we um, uh, have a, a light switch in our house, in our living room, that is like like knee high, and it's Max high. Max, for you, as you don't know, he's a little boy. What is he like? One and a half, Jeff, or almost two. Um, And uh, he loves to play with this light switch because it's like Max height. So he can flip it on and he looks at the light and and that it turns on and he flips it off and he sees the light that is off. And um, the picture is that Max knows, Max Max understands cause and effect. He knows when he flips the light switch up, what happens? The light turns on. He knows when he flips the light switch off, the light switch, the light goes off. And Max likes to say off when he, like he, before he knew eight or ten words, he knew off, and he would say off when he would turn it off. And the idea is, and and you'll see several of these, a different little bumper video each week, Um, the idea is to, to get our brains to think about the simple things that we put our faith in. And when we talk about faith, a lot of times we think big stuff, right? Like placing our faith in really big, really important things. Uh, but I, I, I want to contend for us that we place our, our simple faith in stuff all the time. And simply, how many of you flipped on a light switch today? Why did you flip that light switch on? Because it was dark. Exactly right. And you know, from experience, when you flip the light switch on, the lights are going to come on, right? That's a a faith assessment that you're having. Um, And I think what this study of the book of James, what I hope for it to do, is to teach us to have the kind of faith in in God that we have in, in say, a light switch. Right? Um, And each week we're going to have a different little Short bumper video to to show us something that we place our our simple faith in, and i want to want to highlight the fact that faith is is pretty simple if If we think that faith is not simple, we probably don 't really understand faith and and that 's why I wanted to start with a light switch because it 's the simplest of all the little pieces of faith that we put in um, so Get your mind thinking about that as you go through your day. Think about little simple things that you you put your faith in. Uh, So if you have your Bible, turn it to uh, James chapter 1 towards the end of the New Testament. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We'd like to bring you one and let that be our our gift to you. Um, We'd love to to give that to you. Um, So... As we do with every start of a new series, we want to uh, give a little bit of background to the book. And so what, what is James, who was James, and, and what's, the, what's the story with James? Um, before we get there, let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to, to enlighten our minds through the reading and, and thinking about his scripture. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity for us to gather today. And study your word. I pray that you would uh, meet us here, God, free us from distraction. I pray that you would um, bind to anything that is keeping us distracted or keeping us from focusing on the simplicity of who you are and the message that you have to proclaim to us, Father. I pray that you would strengthen our faith this morning. Um, help us as we try to study from your scriptures. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so who was James? Uh, a couple of things for us to to understand, because in order for us to, to really understand a, a, a book, we need to do some work to find out who the, who the author was and who he was writing to, and then the time and the place and the, the sort of the, the culture environment to which he was writing, so starting with James, the author of james there 's a couple of different Jameses in scripture um, this one uh, was the half brother of Jesus, and you might remember kind of a Uh, a subtle event that happened in the life of jesus was he was teaching and his 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 siblings were there watching him and they mocked him thought he was nuts all right so i want to part of what i want to do this morning is personify james a little bit because sometimes we think of the the biblical authors of these big grandiose figures these really you know off in the distance, but I want to personify him a little bit. James, during the life of Jesus, when Jesus was walking around this earth, um, didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He thought he was, James thought his brother was nuts. Um, Anybody think that their brother is nuts? All right, so we have a few people that can connect. (laughs) Kelly just raised her hand sitting next to her brother. Uh, So, we can connect here, like, but there's, there's been a lot of times, even for us, that we maybe think that Jesus is nuts. Anybody bold enough to raise their hand when I ask that question? Anybody think Jesus is nuts? Yeah. Well, you and James fit together there. Um, James was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the pastor to about 20,000 people. Um, about 20,000 people called the church in Jerusalem their home, and James was the pastor, um, and he was seen as a leader by the church as a whole. When I say the church as a whole, I mean, the church really was kind of, uh, relegated at that point to the region surrounding Jerusalem. It was Christ had just, uh, ascended to heaven and the church was, was a baby, was an infant at this time. And James was seen as, as the leader, uh, the, the Christian leader of the day, um, uh, the Jerusalem Council happened. The Jerusalem Council was there was a. Uh, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, the Jerusalem Council was this understanding, this differentiate, this Paul's gospel versus the gospel of the Jews, and and what is the true gospel. And so there was this big hubbub within the Christianity as a whole, and they looked to James to articulate the beliefs of the the spiritual leaders in the area. So James was was sought of. As this big leader of the church global, not just the church in Jerusalem. Um, James was martyred in 62 AD. And this is, this is really important as we seek to personify James, but also as we understand, especially the, the first 12 verses that Kelly just read for us. Uh, so James was martyred. I read this week uh, about his martyrdom, and this is what happened to him. Uh, he was in the temple... Praying, and some people who were uh, being jealous or afraid or fearful of the authority that James was getting. His church was twenty thousand people. They wanted to, to take away his power, and so they went to the temple where James was to kill him. And James picked it up. He knew it was happening. He ran to the balcony, to the to the roof of the temple to hide. They found him, and they literally pushed him off of the temple. That, like. Like the roof, somebody's ticked off at, at me or Dave or somebody, and they, they chase me to the roof and push me off of the roof. Only, James doesn't die. He's laying there on the ground, probably broken, but alive. And so they run down to the ground, and they begin to stone him, throwing big rocks at James, over, and over like throwing big rocks at him. Doesn't die. He's still alive. Um, so he's imagine he's he's likely a bloody mess but still alive, and uh, then give you a little background too. In this age, there was uh, an individual for a community who was the the he cleaned stuff if you had large blankets or uh, large pieces of, of material that needed to be clean. You would bring it to this guy and he would clean your, your blanket or large things. And, and so he would wash them and one of the things that he had was a big stick that he would beat this blanket or this camel's hide with to, to dry it, to wash it. So imagine like this is this guy's job. He's probably a pretty big dude because he spends his day swinging a big stick, hitting big camel's furs with. All right, This guy hits James in the head over and over and over again until James is dead. So James has been pushed off the roof, he's been stoned, and now this cleaner guy has smoked him in the head several times and, until he dies. This is James, this is the way that he dies. Um, again, James is Jesus' brother. Josephus, I don't know if you guys know who Josephus was, he's a, a, an ancient historian who... Uh, people with who believe Scripture and people who don't believe Scripture trust in Josephus' accounts for what happened. This is what Josephus writes. Um, as he was dying, laying there on the ground, having been pushed, and in the middle of the stoning, in the middle of being beaten in the head by this cleaner guy, um, he, what do you think he's saying? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Like, that gives me chills. Like, that's... Those were the words of Christ as he was being executed. These are the words of James as he's being executed, both innocent men being executed by a people that are, are jealous of who they are. This is James. Um, and I, I relate that story because it's important in light of what we're about to read and study for what James had just maybe a year or two prior written to the church to help them endure trial and persecution. And I, I wonder, as I've been studying this week, are James' words ringing in his head as he's being pushed off of the roof? Are James's words ringing in his head as he's being hit with, with rocks? Or is this ringing in James' head when he's being beaten in his head by this giant stick? Um, but that is who James is. Uh, so what is the book of James? A few things for us to understand here. This is written... Not long after the ascension of Christ, I've said that already. uh, It also, not long after Pentecost. You guys remember Pentecost? Um, Jesus has ascended and he has promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Holy Spirit comes. 3,000 people get saved that day. 3,000 men, uh, which probably means at least that many uh, women and at least that many children as well. So probably more like 9,000 people were saved that day. And then. A little bit later, Acts, the book of Acts, tells us that 5,000 men were saved. And so all these people in one city, in one area, booming, this big population happening. Um, James writes this book not long after the church goes from zero to 20,000. Um, scripture also teaches us that people are being saved daily, and it's also not long after the dispersion and persecution of the church. So um, before James is martyred, Stephen is martyred. That's, that happens in early in the book of Acts. And Pentecost has happened, and there's people being saved daily. Lots of stuff is happening. Stephen goes before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin says, no, you need to die. And they stone Stephen. And you've probably heard before that Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, was there um, throwing stones and, and approving of, of Stephen's uh, execution, so because of that event, because of the, the stoning of Stephen and and other persecutions, the church begins to disperse. So now this church of 20,000 that James is sort of the head of is really kind of spread out into smaller uh, house church type environments and house church areas and, and stuff. Um, and so this book, James is writing this book to those churches. And what would have happened is so these Twenty thousand or more people are dispersed throughout a city of Jerusalem and an area of Jerusalem, probably out into the you know the the far reaches, uh, the the suburbs, if you will, of Jerusalem. And James wrote his book, and it would have been sent by messenger to one of these little churches to be read. And so, what they would have just gathered, much like we will tonight um, here in this room, dinner and theology happening uh, tonight, will we gather? have a meal together, sing a couple of songs together, and then somebody would open up the book and, and literally read it from start to finish. And that would be what they would consider their worship service for the day. So, so that's the, the, the connection there. And as they read this, they would connect with, with who James was and what he was saying. Um, so last little bit of, of background work we need to do. I want to talk about this big idea. We've, we've painted this picture so far this morning of, of faith, and, and the book of James is really about faith. Uh, so faith is the key, the motivator, and the inspiration to everything that we do in the Christian life. Faith is the key, the ignition, the motivator to everything that we do in the Christian life. And faith really is this believing and surrendering, trusting and surrendering that God is who he says he is. And this is every week before Dave or I get up here to preach, you're gonna see a little bumper video of, of you trusting in something that's simple. And and I don't we've done a lot of historical background work, and I'm asking you to engage intellectually, but I'm asking you now to simply think about faith. As, as we simply think about flipping a light switch, I want us to train our, our spirits, our personhood, everything that we are, to, to simplify faith. To, just like we understand flipping on a light switch, that we believe in an instant that God is who he says he is. And this changes everything. Everything that you do, everything that you are, is changed when you simply believe and surrender that God is who He says He is. This is that ever we're going to get in the in the detail of the scripture in James, but I want this idea to be above us all the time. That it's really, really simple. God is who He says He is. But not just that, God does what He says He will do. Again, just like flipping on a light switch, I want us to believe that. That God will do what He says He will do, and He is who He says He is. And then finally, maybe a little less importantly than those first two, is. That we believe, we have faith, we trust that we are who God says we are. Um, I want to read something to you here. God is who He says He is. Who is God then? He is the only thing that can completely satisfy you. Again, think about this in text in the context of simple faith, light switch flipping it on. Believe this. He is the only thing that can completely satisfy you. He is your Father. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He is full of love. He wants to bring you love. He wants to bring you joy. He wants to bring you peace. He wants to bring you patience. He is sovereign. He will give you only good things. He wants to have intimate relationship with you. He is your help in times of trouble. He is good. This is who God is. And faith, simple faith, is really believing and surrendering to that belief that these things are true. Uh, God also will do what he says he will do. He will love you with a steadfast love. He will satisfy every longing of your soul he will never leave or forsake you he will protect you he has good plans to give you a future and a hope he will supply all of your needs he will take your burden from you he has an inheritance waiting for you that cannot perish spoil or fade his grace that he has given is enough to cover every single one of your sins he will do good to you. God is also, You are also who God says that you are. I am adopted as a son of God. I am loved always. I am his possession. I am his workmanship. I am holy and blameless. I am more than a conqueror. I am an heir with Christ. I am continually being prayed for by Jesus. I am fully redeemed. All my sin is paid for. I am welcome in the presence of God at all times. I am a friend of God. I am fully known and simultaneously fully loved. This is faith to simply, like a light switch, believe that when stuff happens, when God calls you to do or be something, to, to call upon these facts, these truths, to change who we are and how we interact in this world. And all the book of James is about, we were talking, the elders are talking about, okay, we, let's study the book of James because we really feel like we want to push our people towards simple obedience. But simple obedience is, is nothing more than an outworking of, of faith. Because you do, what, and you're motivated and ignited and encouraged to do all that you do is based on what you believe to be true, like a light switch. You flip on a light because you believe the lights are going to come on. If you didn't believe the lights were going to come on, you wouldn't flip the light switch. And this is the the concept behind faith, and everything that that James is about is about nailing this to us to to believe that God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do, and you are who he says you are. And then he, he... takes that that idea that we call faith, and okay, here's faith applied here. Here's faith applied here. And then think about James in the midst of of this exploding church of 20,000 people from zero at the same time when people literally are killing his boys and then killing him. So there's it, it, it's hard for us to understand this, this blow-up, but at the same time, there's this deep persecution that scatters the church and eventually takes the life of James as well. So James, writing to us, ultimately is writing to himself. So let's, uh, let's dig into the actual scripture of, of James. Uh, James 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This one is really hard. Count it joy when your mom gets cancer. Count it joy when you miscarry your baby. Count it joy when fill in the blank to the child that's present in your life. Count it joy. I learned something this week. You you may have heard this verse before. Uh, It's been written in songs before. Count on all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. The word count is this Greek word hegeomai. And every other place in Scripture, here's what it means. It means to lead. And the idea is that we are leading our brains to believe something. You follow that? Like... If I came and said, guys, there's this really great place, let's all go there. I would need to spend time convincing you to lead you there. Like I'm, right now there's angst in me to lead you to understand faith and the, the, the desire that I have for us to really understand and, and place our surrender that God is who he says he is and, and we are who he says we are and, and he'll do what he says. I'm, there's angst in me that leading you there. That's this word, count, right? So James is imploring you, your spirit, your personhood, to lead your brain to understand trial as a good thing. So when we say count it all joy, brothers, it's saying to you, lead your spirit, your soul, your personhood, all that you are, lead that to consider trial as a good thing that would bring joy to you because in our minds that doesn't make any sense right in our minds one of two things is happening one God is a liar and he's not good or he's not sovereign that's the the problem of evil is a big stumbling block for people outside of the church it's a big stumbling block for people inside the church evil exists trial exists bad stuff happens so God is either not good or he's not sovereign he can't be both <clears throat> scriptures teaching otherwise so we believe that or we we believe that there is uh like just god is is not not able or we just completely disregard him all right so the the response for us is to to lead our brains somewhere uh also there's also within the church this is a uh, god is either who he's uh, not sovereign or not good or we just discount him or we believe that somehow in us we've sinned or we've done something wrong. There's something wrong with us and so God is punishing us. No. Maybe, but generally speaking, no. Counted joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Again, let's personify James and how he died. The the steadfastness that had to be present in James to get him to that place where he would say, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing, while someone was literally hitting him in the head with a giant stick. Like, don't, don't pass that up. Don't see James as a, this robed guy, you know, flowing and and long hair and a beard. Your picture of Jesus personified. This guy getting hit in the head with a stick, having just written this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Um. So, uh, my daughter just went into high school for the. She's a freshman, and I'm really nervous for her about. School And, like, she went from a, uh, her 8th her grade class, her graduating 8th grade class, had three people in it. And now she's at McClure North, which, you know, the school is so big, Dad. And so there's pressure inherent within that. There's pressure with being a 14-year-old, trying to understand what's going on. And so I pick her up from school, and we drive home. And how was school? Did you have a test today? How'd you do? how do you feel like you did? And then I think about what a test is designed to do. What's a test? What's a, a a freshman physics test designed to do. <coughs> By the way, she takes physics as a freshman. That's crazy. I was taking physics in college. Failing it. Uh, so, and she has a test every Thursday. So every Thursday I pick her up. Like, how was your test? How did, how did you do? But that test is, is designed to see what she knows. <coughs> but I think more than that, that test is designed to help her understand what she doesn't know. Let's think about faith as a test. Trial has come to your life to teach you that God is who he says he is, does what he says he will do, and you are who he says you are. Trial comes to show you where you believe that, but more importantly, show you where you don't believe that and when you don't believe that it's a gift to you to believe it better or differently or more fully or to a different aspect of your life you you processing this this is from this perspective we can see the beauty of a trial and it's so simple we want to really intellectual about a trial but just like a physics test is designed to tell hannah grace what she knows and what she doesn't know so is a trial to you how are you doing in your believing god so let me ask you the question how are you doing you're believing god maybe that was rhetorical But how are you doing? Believing that God is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. And you are who he says you are. How are you doing there? Verse 4, this is really cool. The result of this testing of faith and you understanding your failure and your success in your faith leads to steadfastness and steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like this is a familiar passage, perhaps, to a lot of us. But look at what it just said to you. Who wants to be perfect? Who wants to be complete? Lacking in nothing. Don't be shy. I do. Like lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. When, when our faith is tested, we get more like this, and we, we trust instinctively better. Let's steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Faith changes the way you view trouble in this life because you know the truth of God, because you know he is who he says he is. And you are who he says you are. And he does what he says he will do. Am I being redundant enough? Like you don't need to go to a light switch and wonder. We have a couple of electricians in the room. Maybe you guys need to go and wonder. But us, us simple folks don't. But, but even that speaks, right? Like, Charlie and John are stressed out of when it flips off. What happened? Let me figure out. Let me, the circuits and complete, and whatever, I don't know. (laughs) But us, we're just flipping on light switches and seeing light happen. And, And if we really believe this stuff like that, how does that change us? This is the point that James is making. You know, make it over and over again and just in different venues and different areas. And really believing this stuff changes us. I want to say a few things here. Faith is trusting in things with the same sort of confidence as pushing a brake pedal or flipping a light switch. Faith motivates action. Faith inspires action. Faith ignites action. Um read something that Matt Chandler, pastor in Texas, wrote this week. He says, God is about progress, not perfection. And where there is faith, there is movement forward. It's the last half of that that really draws my mind. And I hope it draws our minds. Where there is faith, there is movement forward. Do we see faith as a process? Like we believe God for who he is and who he says he is and who he, who he says he, what he says he will do and who he says we are, we believe that more as a process. And God is about moving us forward in that process. Skip down to verse five. Faith teaches us to come to God for all things. If any of you lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Do you ever, do you have this sort of light switch faith when you ask God for wisdom? I know a lot of you are in the middle of some really difficult decisions. I know I'm in the middle of a really weird place decision. What's happening? Let's go ask God. Let's have faith, light switch faith, that God's going to give it to us. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Do you want to be complete and lacking in nothing, or do you want to be floating around at sea with no real security? That's an easy one. Verse 7, for that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see the results of a lack of belief. You're like sitting in a dark room right next to a light switch and either dumb or lazy or stubborn and won't flip on the light switch. Let the lowly boast in their exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in all of his pursuits, in the midst of his pursuits. This is the picture. Like, we're placing faith in us or this world or our abilities or in God And God says here that I got this all under control. I am who I say I am, and I do what I say I will do. Verse 12, the last verse for the morning. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. I've done a little bit of study about the crown of life, uh, not really sure the extent of, of what the crown of life means. It has something to do with, with heaven and the thing that God has for us. But nonetheless, even if you, you, you don't have a, a theological handle on the crown of life, wouldn't you, wouldn't you maybe like to have the crown of life? <laughs> like, I don't need to, to fully define the crown of life to understand this is probably good. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life. Do you see the result of faith versus the result of a lack of faith? Which one do you want to sign up for? Which God has promised to those who love him. The ultimate promise as a reward for your faith is this. Unbroken, unhindered, perfect relationship with God that longs for nothing. Where pain, hurt, brokenness, and imperfection are never present. Let me say that again. This is the result of faith for you. Unbroken, unhindered, perfect relationship with God that longs for nothing. We long for stuff all the time. But the result of, of complete light switch like faith is you long for nothing. And where pain, hurt, and brokenness and imperfection are never present. Do you, have, have, I, have we seen how important faith is? This is what God wants to give to you. And the way to get there is to believe that he is who he says he is, does what he says he will do, and you are who he says you are. It's so simple. We could have just flipped on a light switch and said, and then had a 30 second sermon today. This is God. This is what he wants to give to you. This is faith. Let's pray and let's go on this 12-week journey together, understanding our faith and understanding what God wants to give to us through this gift of faith, what this crown of life is really like. Let's pray and worship our God. God, I thank you for your beauty. I thank you for your presence in our lives. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that... You are who you say you are and you do what you say you will do. God, I pray that the words of your scripture will engage our hearts in such a way that we are changed and and we respond to you in obedience. We respond to you in faith. We respond to you by going on mission. We respond to you by enduring trial. We respond to you by simple obedience. You are a miraculous and wonderful God. And you've given us your son Jesus. You've given us life. You've given us glimpses of this steadfastness, this perfection, this beauty, this peace and patience and love. Now, God, we ask that you give us more. Teach our hearts faith. Teach our hearts to trust and surrender to you. We love you. We want to love you more. In Christ's name.